This is Edgewood Sermon Audio with sermon number 24 in the Gospel according to Luke. As always, if you have questions about this, feel free to reach out to Edgewood Church, www.edgewood-danville.org. Contact me, Pastor Matt. All right, I'm going to pray again before I start because I really need it for this sermon this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, God, for this day, and I just thank you, Lord, for, uh, again, for your word. I thank you for Luke. I thank you for the fact that he has written these words down that we can uh, read nearly 2,000 years later. We can study these things. You preserved it for us. God, I'm thankful for all that are present this morning, and I just pray now before I go any further that you would guide and direct everything that happens from this point forward. Uh, from my words to my tone to um, the ideas that are presented to the way we listen to your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's start. As usual, I need to do a little bit of background work to really understand what's happening in our story. We live in a very different situation than what Jesus was living in, okay? Okay. So let's let's start with this, just to just to help you think it through. You guys ever heard of those? Kids heard of that, right? Ten Commands. All right, what are all of them? Somebody list them off for me. That's one. Yeah. Can can anybody just can anybody right now raise your hand? Go through all ten in order. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to make you. What's the fourth one? No, wait a minute. Let me go back. Do you guys love it when these are like, I mean, don't you go, man, post these in the courthouses of America. Ten Commandments. You, you feel that way? What's the fourth one? Huh? No? Hmm? Nope. Murder? Nope. Nope, nope. Okay, okay, you're embarrassing yourselves. <laughs> Let me just give it to you, the fourth commandment. You guys need to do some studying. I'm not judging. I, I don't know if I could have listed them all off in order either. Um, the fourth commandment, Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath, right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it ho- to keep it holy. Word holy means set apart. Six days... In case you don't know what that means, remember it and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God, to Jehovah, your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock. The cows aren't working, right? Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For why? For in six days, this goes all the way back to creation, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, there it is. You think we should keep all Ten Commandments? Now this is, is be careful how we answer. You have to understand. Let's do the math here. Seventh day of the week is what day? Saturday, right? Okay, that hasn't changed, by the way, which is really amazing when you think about it. We've been operating seven days a week since creation. 
That's pretty cool if you just like contemplate that for a minute. Cross cultures throughout history. Anyway, God said, this is what you ought to do. And it's connected with how God operates himself. He obviously wasn't tired on the seventh day, but he rested. And as his image bears, according to this, we ought to do the same thing. So you might be thinking, some of you might be going, well, what about Sunday? Right? There is no New Testament writer ever that refers to Sunday as the Sabbath. Okay, so I'm just going to be upfront with you. Because of time constraints, I will tell you that I could have had 50 pages of notes on this. I found this personally fascinating. Don't run out of here. I'm not going to do all of that. Just to cut to the chase, I do not believe at all that you could show from Scripture that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. No New Testament writer ever says it, and since the Word of God is my authority, I'm not going to say that either. There's, in fact, every time they, now they met on Sunday, and there's several references to that where the early church would meet together on Sunday, right? They get together on Sunday, but it was never, there's never once that it even implies that it was a day of rest for them. In fact, it was a day of celebrating the work of God as he rose from the dead. That's what Sunday was. And they got together. There's one place in the Bible that refers to uh, Sunday as the Lord's Day. That's in Revelation. John calls it, I was you know, with the Lord on the Lord's Day. But there's, there's no reference to Sunday being the Sabbath. And the weeks haven't changed. The seventh day of the week is still Saturday. Okay? So you might be thinking to yourself, well, what, what happened to the Sabbath? I mean, you guys understand that we literally yesterday as a church scheduled a work day on the Sabbath. So we literally not just didn't keep it, we scheduled work on it. Why? Now, this is where I'm going to pause. I'm going to tell you right now. I wrestled with what to do with this text this week and man, just yesterday. In fact, half the reason why I came to the work day was to stop thinking about this for a minute, to be like, Lord, I just need to walk away from it, come back to it came back to it, it still was like, mm, where do I go with this? Okay, So so even now as I'm speaking to you, there's there's aspects of this that I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like waiting to see what happens, to be honest with you. Now, what happened to the Sabbath? That's, that's one of the questions. It's, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not the most important one from this text. What happened to it? Why don't we do that? I think there's reasons for it. We'll get to those. Why do I need to talk about it? Because this is where the opposition to Jesus comes into play. If you read through the Gospels, it's primarily from the Pharisees that he gets opposition. We've seen it already in Luke. It's going to build. Okay? This is kind of like, I'm just telling, I'm telling you right now, I look at Jesus' ministry and it's starting to feel like a chessboard and the pieces are getting pushed into place. Right? And it's starting to look like Jesus is going to sacrifice the king to win the game. And you're going, that's not how chess works, Matt. I know. But that's what it's feeling like. And you see all these little pieces going into place. It looks like the Pharisees, they're getting the upper hand here. And there's, In fact, we're going to see Jesus keeps doing things that the Pharisees are like, aha! And we're going to see that a little bit in this one. It's primarily, and I don't want to give away any spoilers, but um, the Pharisees, 
they they end up killing Jesus, right? Spoiler alert. Um, it's them. And so as we read this, you've got to take that into mind. As we're reading through Luke, we're, we're starting to get the glimpses of these, these Pharisees and what they're about and what they're doing. This next one, we've seen the Pharisees griping about eating with tax collectors and sinners. Oh, Jesus, you can't do that. And then we saw them going, well, yeah, he had a pretty good response to that. But what about uh, the fact that you're not fasting and you're feasting instead? And he, there was a response to that. And he's kind of putting them on the thing and, here, and just kind of standing up to them in different ways. But now we have another clash Luke is going to introduce to us. Listen to this. On a Sabbath, when's the Sabbath? What day of the week? Saturday. What were they supposed to be doing on the Sabbath? Not working. Correct? Did, we, did you guys catch that with that seventh command? Or that fourth command? Don't work. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Oh, no. Now, it's not wrong to go through the field. In fact, Deuteronomy set, establishes one of the ways that God established in, in uh, Old Testament law to take care of the poor was to leave the edges of the field so that they could harvest. I think it's a much better welfare system than we have. Give people an opportunity of what they can do to provide for themselves. That's what they would do. And so what Jesus is doing here, going it wasn't his field, but he goes through and he, right, to eat. He's hungry. His disciples are hungry. They eat. That's not wrong that he's doing that, but it is happening on the Sabbath. Verse 2, but some of the Pharisees said, and I automatically thought, how'd they know? How'd they know? We actually get a clue in a few more verses. They're, they're, we get this idea. They're spying on him. They're watching him like a hawk. I just feel like every time the Pharisees, like the, after that last one, you're eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, I felt like the Pharisees walked away like this. Right? You got us that time. In my head, they said, foiled again. Isn't that what the villains always say? Okay. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? How is it not lawful? Daryl Bach answers this. There's a Jewish um, rabbinical uh, book called The Mishnah. It dedicates, it dedicates a whole unit to listing what is not allowed in terms of Sabbath activity. These regulations are, according to this mission, these regulations are the 40 save 1, as the Mishnah puts it, and prohibit 39 tasks on the day of rest. So they, they, like, they took that command and they ran with it. They call it the 40 save one. It's almost like they said, if we had 40 restrictions, you'd never be able to do it. But we only got 39, so you're okay. I'm going to be honest with you. I get this to a degree. I, remember, you're talking to a dean of a high school. By human nature, specificity of rules becomes very important. Okay. As a high school teacher, I learned real quick, you've got to be really specific. I have learned that when I ask students to sit down, I have to add a bunch of extra declarations to make sure it happens the way. It, when I first started, first day of school, I was like, all right, guys, get, sit down. That doesn't work. You have to say, all right, please take a seat in your desk on the seat portion of it <laughs> with your feet under it and not on top of somebody else. And the seat that I specifically said was your seat, not the one that you said was your seat because you didn't like the seat that I gave. And it, it, it just gets longer and longer because I guarantee no matter how long I describe it, they will find the one loophole. 
Because you know what they want to do? They want to be saying, well, I did what you said. <laughs> uh, see, some got another, I don't know, at least one other teacher in here that's going, yep. <laughs> they just know. They find a way. You know? You know? Short's too short. Well, what's short? You have to define that. I mean, that, that's what you face as a dean. This is what they did. I actually get this. Don't work. Well, what constitutes work? When does it when does it go from not work to work? I actually don't mind this in general, what they attempted to do. Like you're trying to do what God says, and you're like, well, I, I just figure they probably sat down at some point and they said, Well, what actually constitutes work? There, there was actually four things that the disciples broke according to their 39 or 40 save one guidelines. They were reaping. They decided reaping is work. They decided threshing and winnowing of wheat was work, and they decided any form of preparing food is work. I feel that way about preparing food as well, don't you? I don't know. Some of you are like, no, I love it. Bam. Right? Me, I'm God, this stinks. So the disciples had four strikes against them. They were grabbing it, rubbing it in their hands, right? Threshing, winnowing, letting the chaff go, right? And they obviously ate it, so they must have prepared it to at least a degree to eat it. And so the Pharisees are like, strike four. Unlawful. Now keep in mind, Jesus is not breaking the law. He's breaking their interpretation of it. Keep that in mind. It's very important. His answer is even more fascinating. And this is where my notes could have delved into about 20, 30 pages, just on this one thing. Jesus answers them. He, notice he doesn't say, well, your interpretations are stupid, Pharisees. Stupid. Right, he doesn't do that, does he? He didn't say, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even go down the fact that it's just their interpretation. He doesn't mention that at all. He just goes to an Old Testament story. Have you not read? Which their answer should have been yes, because they know the word. Have you not read? Don't you, don't you read the Bible? Have you not read that what David, King David, before he was king, what David did when he was hungry? So there's some similarities already. When he was hungry, what did he do? He and those that were with him, how he, he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Now think about this for a minute. He's not using an illustration of how somebody interpreted something badly. No, he says it literally was not lawful. If you go back to those Old Testament scriptures, that showbread, that bread of presence was there, and the only ones that were to eat it were Aaron's descendants. So David literally did do something unlawful. He ate the bread of the presence. Jesus is saying to them, right here, he's saying, you condemn me for this, you'd have to condemn David. Because, it, think about it, what David did was worse than what Jesus just did. Is that not true? And so David just, or Jesus took it up a notch, he said, oh really, what about this? Boom. This is a fascinating question, by the way and has led to much debate. I'm going to tell you right now, there are volumes of information that can be written about how do we handle this. 
The Old Testament clearly does not condemn David for doing this, nor are they willing to do that. David was prohibited by law from eating that bread. That's Jesus' argument. He was, he was actually, actually prohibited by the law, and yet he did it, and it was okay. Now, I'm going to attempt to summarize something here. Jesus is laying out, and here's the important principle. Jesus interprets Scripture with Scripture. How do we apply these things? What do I use? I, I can go to the altar to see how this is played out. And one of the issues that's at stake here is human need, hunger in this case, and the law. In the law, there are some laws that are ceremonial laws. Okay? And so on one hand, you could start to go down this avenue, and I think there's something to this, but I don't want to go down there very far because I, it's not really the main point for today. On one hand, you'd have to say there are cases where the ceremony can be set to the side for the sake of human need. That's exactly what happened with David, is it not? Do you see that? Let me say that again. Did you see how the ceremony of the showbread? Nobody was. I mean, that that priest could have said that is against the law. You cannot eat it. Sorry, David, go off hungry. But he didn't. He said, "Go ahead." So there must be. Jesus's point is there must be. And how do we know what it is? It's from Scripture itself. How do we know what we ought to do and what's allowed and what's not allowed? That's what he does. But there's something bigger that happens next. Listen to this. If well, here, I'm just going to give it to you. He said to them, the Son of Man, referring to Christ, as the representative of all mankind, the ideal man. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's a pretty powerful claim, is it not? If you just sit back and think about it, the Sabbath, because we know the Old Testament law, we just read it. The Sabbath was to be set apart wholly to the Lord. And here Jesus just goes, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Mark's gospel shares a little bit more information. He says this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This was actually a statement from rabbinical law as well. They understood this. These Pharisees understood this statement that the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath in other words there's an important purpose in there it's for your rest god knew how we were created and so that's an important element in here it's for your rest and so the sabbath was made for you ultimately not the other way around and what the pharisees have done in their additional rules they turned it from a day of rest to a day of 39 guidelines to make sure that i keep but Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I want to answer a question on a rabbit trail and then come back. Because I still want to answer the question, what happened to the Sabbath? Why, why are we not continuing to do the Sabbath? I'm going to give you this to, to you in a few clues. And here's the first one. Clue number one, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That's clue number one. I'm giving it to you as clues, not the whole big thing all at once. But there's a big theological point, And that's going to, you're going to find that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We find clue number two in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, right before Jesus, right before Matthew shares these same stories, the, the verses right in front of it, 
is where Jesus says to his disciples, Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then it goes right from that into these stories. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. And then it goes right into these stories. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So clue number two, in Jesus we find rest, that Sabbath rest. We find rest. Paul will give us another hint in Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going through these quickly, so if at any point you're like, you're later on, you're like, I need to have you hash that out again. I'm telling you, I've got, I moved them to the bottom of my notes here, but I've got a bunch of more information here that I could go into, but I, I'm trying to condense. Colossians 2, Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the Sabbath, listed amongst other things, was just a shadow of what was to come. So this entering into your rest was just a shadow of what was going to happen after this. Okay, so we get these ideas. There's this weekly rest, weekly rest. And they had other Sabbaths that they celebrated besides these. Romans 14.5, I'm going to compare two verses. So think about these two verses next. I'm going to show you an Old Testament passage about the Sabbath and a New Testament one about days as well. Exodus 31, 14 says, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. And so in the Old Testament, to not keep the Sabbath, death penalty. In the New Testament, what does Paul say? One person esteems one day is better than another. Some people esteem one day better than the rest of them. Others, and others esteem all days alike. I mean, if you're going to esteem all days alike, that was against the law in the Old Testament law. But Paul says, some people do that, some people esteem them all. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. If an old person, an Old Testament person decided to be fully convinced in their own mind, they would have been put to death if they did not keep the Sabbath. They just decided to esteem all days. That was a death penalty. I admit I, I could have put clue three back before clues one and two. But let me give you another clue, Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, you're going to see this idea of rest expanded. And again, I'm condensing. The Jews, as they had that Sabbath rest, they were looking forward to their rest that would come when they entered the promised land. Now, the, who's been here on the Sundays that Paul has preached? Did, did, is there anything about the Jews going into the promised land that ended up sounding like rest? Not, nothing in it is sounding like rest. I mean, they're like, what are they doing? Like marching and doing and fighting. I mean, and it doesn't end for a long time. In fact, you see in Hebrews, it talks about this rest that's coming. They get in there and Joshua still talks about the rest that's going to come. So they're still looking forward to something else. And so all the time that they're looking forward to this rest, there's still rest that's further down the road. Listen to what Hebrews says about this. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's talking about, he'd just been talking about Joshua, right? There's, he said there's still a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his, which is an interesting phrasing there. You hear that? Whoever's, whoever's entered God's rest has rested, but yet there's still a rest that's coming for the people of God. You guys remember a couple of weeks ago when I used the little phrase already but not yet? This is another one of those things. This theologian puts it this way. says, Yet even now, Hebrews implies, we feel the first waves of the coming rest 
in Christ, we have already tasted the powers of the age to come, Hebrews 6.5, rest included. For the author writes, we who have believed enter that rest, Hebrews 4.3. Not will enter, but enter fully later, but truly now. So clue number four, we have already but not yet entered our rest. So my answer when people say, why don't you celebrate the Sabbath? Why don't you rest on the Sabbath? Is because I'm going to tell you right now, every day for me is Sabbath rest in Christ. Right? Every day for me. Now there's principles about a Sabbath that you can take into life. Absolutely. I think it's important to try to rest. But no. Why do we not keep the Sabbath? This is what I believe, I believe right now, I'm telling you. It's because Christ is our Sabbath rest. And why did those early Christians, why did that go to the wayside? This is it right here. Christ is our rest. Matthew 11, I'm going to read it to you now. Come to me. And I thought about ending right here. This is great. This is a great end, isn't it? Some of you are like, yeah, this is a good idea, Matt. Go with that. <laughs> I, I've been toying around all morning. Do I stop here or not? I'm just telling you right now. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Christ, there is genuine rest. Let's think about some of those things. How about a rest from working for your salvation? You ever been through, some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know that most of you will go, I get this. Have you ever been through the torment of thinking in your head, I, I'm not meeting the right quota of righteousness to be, for God to be okay with me? I'm not, some of you are like, you're all good theologically with believing, trusting in Christ to get you to heaven. But on a day-to-day -day basis, you operate like, oh man, I messed up yesterday, I sinned, and so now God's probably like mad at me up there. He's like up there going like, oh man, you stupid idiot, you know, and, and why'd you do that again? You're such an idiot, you know, I, keep, I just, I don't even know why I saved you sometimes. I mean, that's what, that's what you're thinking about. That's, I thought God was probably thinking about that, about me sometimes. What are you even, waste of flesh, Matt. <laughs> but there's a freedom when you start to understand that our righteousness is not just about we get to go to heaven. It has to do with our standing before God. You, because of Christ, stand before the throne righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he did. And I'm telling you, there's a rest in that. Rest from working for your salvation, working for your standing in life. How about this one? There's a rest from worrying about your life. Some of you find great, great peace in those fleeting moments where all of your ducks are in a row. Does it last? Never does. And you have that one moment, don't you? You go, I got them all in a row. You got them lined up there, right? And then somebody comes along and goes, oh, sorry. I just got them all lined up. <laughs> it's always somebody like that, too. They, they, they have no idea. They just destroyed your life. 
And they just go about their business, you know. And you're going, I'm devastated right now. <laughs> but there's rest from worrying about your life in Christ. There, there's no need for you to get all of your ducks. I'm telling you what, his ducks are in a perfect row. Everything is going to, when we get to the end, he's going to look back and we're going to look back and go, that's perfect. You realize that we're going to stand at the end of time and look back over this, this his, history of the world and just go, perfect. From the grand details down to the flow of your life, Perfect, Lord. Sovereign King of the universe, thank you. And when you start to understand who Jesus is and why he would say something so silly as take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought for the things of itself. He says that as sovereign King of the universe is how he says that. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How about... This one goes hand in hand with the previous one. How about rest from striving for heaven now? Okay. How about rest from striving for heaven now? A lot of us have different little views of what heaven is. Right? What's the, what's the, what's the classic guy heaven? White picket fence. Right? Streets of gold, but like us, we just want paved streets. Right? I, I just want, you know, he heaven for me sometimes. I don't even think that big. Sometimes I'm just like a car that runs. That's heaven. <clears throat> Children that obey heaven. <laughs> People that just all get along. Heavenly. You know what I'm talking about? Ooh, I heard. Some of you. You don't even realize what you're what you're thinking when you're thinking this, but you look at the state of the world, and and you, you want see there, there's a time when Jesus will reign and rule from on high, and all knees will bow. That's not yet. We ought to expect something different until then. We've had glim we get glimpses of it in the great when everybody's kind of like looking towards God in your little circle of people that you know, but then when the outside world starts to infringe in. Whether it's through watching the news or something, you're like, oh, Lord, where are you at? Uh, he's still reigning and ruling on high. But there's something different happening right now. You think he's lost control? No. But we go, man, I want heaven now. I want this thing to happen or this thing. And if I could just get this, this, and this. And we, sometimes we trim it down. Like me, I told you, I get, I, I'm, I'm pretty simple. Running car. Right? I, we trim it down. Like, we can't get a bunch of things. I mean, that's what happens. Our expectations get lower and lower the older you get, right? Remember when you were young? You had, like, high expectations of your future. Uh, high school kids, think about some of the high school kids. I'm going to be an NBA player, and I'm going to... Yeah, okay, buddy. Yeah, big dreams. And the older you get, the more you're like, I just don't want my back to hurt today. Yeah. <laughs> that would be heaven. <laughs> right? But... but 
But what are you what are you doing in the meantime? Are you resting? No, because you're like, man, if I could just get and there's always this one more thing, one more little piece of the puzzle. If I could just get that piece of the puzzle, then it'd be heaven. And you're trying to get heaven right now. You don't want your best life right now. If you get your best life now, then what's later isn't heaven. I want my best life then. But come back to Christ. What is he saying? Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And if you're not resting in him, I think you're missing out. You're, you're, you're forgetting what he's already done. Now, I know that there's, a, there's an already but not yet feel. I get that. We're not to ignore that. I mean, the, the early Christians would still say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I long for the complete... Everything wrapped up finally. I long for that. But in the meantime, we don't have to any longer have that weekly Sabbath the way they did looking forward to a rest. The rest has come. And he came and he died on a cross. He took the penalty of sin. And where's he at now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Reigning. Death is defeated. Sin is defeated. The full completion of what it's going to look like, we don't see yet. But like Abraham, we ought to live like our eyes are in another country. And we rest in the promised land that we're already in. Not just the one that we're going to see with these eyes. So my application, it looks like I'm going to bump the rest of this till next week. My application is simply, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. But remember what it is. It's come. It's Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the rest that you offer. I thank you, God, that your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. I thank you that it's nothing like the Pharisees' burden. I thank you that you've done all the work for us and that we can enter into your rest already. Lord, I ask now that you'd be with each one in this room, whatever it is they've been striving at, working at, Lord, help them to take your yoke because it's easy and your burden is light. And they can find rest for their weary souls. And God, when I say that, I know that there are some in here that that is precisely how they would describe their weary, their souls. They would describe them as they have, I have a weary soul. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus says, you will find rest for your weary souls in Christ. And all these things I pray now in Christ's name. Amen.